This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. Throwing on the run, that's a new law, breaks a tackle to the 35-yard line, still on his feet. Quincy Aninwa breaking another tackle inside the 20. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. This week, we're joined by Dan Eason, one of our writers and contributors at Turn on the Jets, also the host of our Buck the Trend podcast. We have a really interesting 25-minute discussion on the second quarter of the New York Jets schedule. Uh, when they're going to face the Denver Broncos at home, the Indianapolis Colts at home, the Minnesota Vikings at home, then the Chicago Bears on the road. We break down those four games and give our expectations on how the team will fare after their 1-3 and three start. Also talk about some prospective personnel changes they could make to improve their performance. So definitely stick around. Uh, you know, came out really well. Dan is uh, great, one of our uh, up-and-coming contributors at the site, so glad we were able to get him on the podcast. Before I jump into that interview, you want to remind you guys to check out the links we're going to be sharing out for Get Around, which is the best way to go about renting a car in the New York City metro area, and also the best way to get money renting your own car. So we're going to be sharing a link out uh, to sign up for their service and to also fill out one of their surveys. And if you do fill out that survey, you'll be eligible to win free tickets to Jets vs. Colts, which is the Jets' Week 6 game. Again, check out Get Around. We'll have the links within the description of this podcast on the website, and we'll also tweet them out. Also want to give another shout-out to Willie McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey, for hosting both of our watch parties. We'll keep everybody posted on future events and opportunities that we're going to have going with them, likely going to do some type of event for the NFL Draft next year and maybe one more watch party this season. So we'll keep everybody posted. And, of course, all season long, make sure to go to Willie McBride's on 6th and Grand in Hoboken, New Jersey to check out football. And we are now joined by this week's guest, now a fairly long-time writer at Turn on the Jets and host of our Buck the Trend podcast, also guest-hosted for me a few weeks back when I was on paternity leave, Dan Essien. Dan, how you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to, to be on the on the big podcast this week. Absolutely. Uh, feeling, brought, feeling very good. <laughs> brought you on the mothership. That's right. We have to uh we have to preview this second quarter of the Jets schedule. So I I'm just finishing up an article for Turn of the Jets where I sort of recap everything that we've learned through what I would say is a fairly disappointing first quarter of the season. I don't think in a vacuum, it's shocking that the Jets are one and three. I think most people probably expected them to be two and two or one and three. I think it's how they've gotten to one and three, and that's by losing a very winnable Miami game at home, uh, losing a 14-point lead to Cleveland uh, in prime time to break their uh, losing streak, and then just getting completely whipped by the Jacksonville Jaguars in a game that they were never really competitive in. So it feels like six years ago they beat the Detroit Lions, and six years ago they scored 31 points uh, in the third quarter uh, because they've barely been able to score since then. Their next four games upcoming, a three-game home stretch, so a little bit of the schedule coming back around after the ridiculous start to the season that they had with three of their four games being on the road and the three games in 10 days and all that fun stuff. Uh, they will be home for the Denver Broncos, who are flying across the country on a short week after a 
pretty brutal loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Shout out to Pat Mahomes, who's been ridiculously good so far this year. They are then home for the Indianapolis Colts, who have been up and down this year. Andrew Luck certainly looking like he's back, but still a team with uh, a lot of roster problems, similar to the Jets. Uh, then home for the Minnesota Vikings, who are 1-2-1, one, and one, one of the most talented teams in the football in National Football League, coming off a real tough loss to the Rams, but also laid an egg to the Buffalo Bills, of all teams, uh, for one of their losses this year. And then finally, they go to Chicago to play the Bears, who are currently first place in the NFC North, where Khalil Mack is basically getting a strip sack every five plays or so. So... Fairly a fairly challenging stretch. I, I mean, the fact that three of the four games at home is obviously a positive. Just right off the top of your head, Dan, when you look at those four games just on paper, what is a reasonable expectation for the Jets' record in these four? So it's tough because it's like you said, you have the three-game home stretch. Uh, I think that's a great chance for them to kind of jumpstart. Uh, you know, get be in a comfortable environment, not have to worry about crowd noise. You know. And Darnold can, you know, get his play changes. He can, he can make audibles at the line, and the offensive line can perfectly hear him. No issues with that. But you know, at the same time, the thing that I think we're concerned about, uh, and you know, kind of was a concern coming in, is you know, hey, this team just might not be very good. And you know, we all knew that that was the case, and we all understood that was the case. But I think it's one thing saying that before the season starts, and then actually seeing it. Uh, you know, and through four weeks, you get a good sense of where the weaknesses are. And I think there are weaknesses that, uh, you know, any of these upcoming teams can exploit. Uh, you know, Denver's got a good defense. We saw that yesterday. Uh, you know, they were able to keep the Chiefs offense, uh, you know, down for a good amount of the game before, you know, Pat Mahomes went super sane in the fourth quarter. Uh, but, you know, a team like that can kind of stymie them. Uh, you know, their offense hasn't really been a good, getting off to a good start. Uh, their offensive line has been bad, and now we have Von Miller coming into town. Um, so, honestly, I think between that, uh, you have the Vikings game later on. They have an incredible defense. Uh, there's a lot of good defenses on, on in this upcoming stretch. So, um, honestly, I, I see potentially one and three coming up in the next four games. I mean, I don't think that's that crazy. I think if you look at what the lines are probably going to break out to be, I think the last I saw, the Jets are actually one or two-point favorites against Denver, meaning they're not getting the full three at home. I think against the Colts, depending on how that game goes, probably the same type of deal. Where maybe they'll be two- to three-point favorites. I think Minnesota, they're probably five- or six-point underdogs, and the Bears, they could be you know six- or seven-point underdogs, considering they're going to be on the road. And as you mentioned, the, the Vikings and Bears defense in back-to-back weeks is going to be a hell of a challenge for Sam Darnold. So you have to hope that yeah. he can get into some type of positive rhythm these next two weeks. And it's not like Denver's defense uh, is a pushover either. They did play really well against Mahomes uh, last night. I think the Colts is definitely the softest of the four. I think you're hoping, and it, it's you know kind of a, a shame you have to hope for this as a way to get a win. Denver should be really conducive to a potential letdown performance. You've got to figure, you know, an emotional division game where you basically lose almost on the last play. They really probably should have won if Demarius Thomas would have just ran through his route. And then only having six days to fly back across the country, they should be a little flat, and you have to hope the Jets could take advantage of that because with these three games, it, it's when you look at Todd Bowles and you look at the narrative around this team, if the Jets go and lose to Denver by double digits and then lose to the Colts, this season could very quickly turn into the 2014 season where you're going to have right. 
the year over by early October, you're going to have an empty building or a building field with away fans, and that is not what Chris Johnson or Woody Johnson, if he has any say left, want to see after making this aggressive move to go get Sam Darnold. I mean, we already, you know, I've heard mixed reviews about what the home crowd was like for the Miami game. I heard, you know, it was really good, like loud, and I also heard there were too many Dolphins fans there. Uh, I was unable to right. attend, so I didn't get to see for myself, but we know how ugly and how fast things could get ugly. And I kind of feel like if this season's not going to go the 2014, you know, four and 12 type route, the Jets kind of have to beat Denver, right? I guess you could say, look, maybe they get to one and four, they play well, they should be able to beat the Colts. But, you know, to beat two and four going into that Vikings and Bears game, I I don't know. I feel like if they're going to salvage this season of being an around 500 team, you kind of got to beat the Broncos and Colts and and get yourself back to 500 before the schedule is going to start getting a little more difficult. Is, Is it unrealistic to expect them to be able to win those two games? If they could go back and find some of the positive things that they were able to do the first two weeks and even for the first quarter against Cleveland? Right, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's very very plausible. I think that's something that fans should expect because, uh, you know, those are I remember Leonard Williams talked about winnable games. Uh, he kind of let that slip out in his post game after the Browns game, uh, and th- you know these are those type of games. These are those games that the Jets at this stage of the rebuild, at this stage, you know, of their 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 team's growth in terms of how they turned over this roster and they're trying to build something new. You know, they talk about the culture change, you know, and all that stuff. Uh, you know, these are the type of games that, that they want to win because uh, these teams are at, you know, <laughs> at the level that really they should be. Uh, and uh, I think that they can take advantage defensively of the, you know, shortcomings that some of these teams have. Uh, you know, obviously the Denver has Case Keenum at quarterback. Case Keenum is a decent quarterback. He's an okay quarterback, but he's a quarterback that that secondary with the amount of draft picks and money that they injected into it should be able to take care of. Um, you know, the Jets have been forcing turnovers recently. Uh, it seems like they're kind of on pace to have a larger total than last year, which is encouraging. Uh, but I think the timing of them and, uh, you know, kind of just how dynamic the defense can be. And uh, I think that needs to show because lately they they seem kind of lackluster. You know, a lot of fans are thinking about, I'm sure, Tremaine Johnson getting roasted by uh, Dante Moncrief uh, late in the game against the Jaguars, like stuff like that. You, you can't let that happen. That's that's the that's the quality of a you know four win team or a three win team. You know that's not the quality of you know a middle of the road team, a six win team. Uh, which honestly, we're uh, I think you might have mentioned before the season that range is kind of what uh, is the only thing that can maybe keep Bulls around because he needs that four three or four wins. You know he's almost definitely getting fired. So uh, I think I think games like uh, the Broncos and Colts are games that they have to win those are games that you have to be able to to overcome because if if not then there's really no business uh you know kind of pronouncing yourself as a you know a developing team because it it would kind of feel like it was in 2014 like you said and uh then you have to hit the reset button all over again what type of personnel changes could this team tweak or make to improve their play right now we saw last week they basically benched Terrell Pryor. I don't necessarily know how much I buy into the hamstring uh, theory. I have a feeling Pryor is right. not going to be long for this world. I think we're going to continue to see more Jermaine Curse in the three-wide set with the new on Anderson. Sounds like we'll probably see Neil Sterling back this week, which sounds like a minor return, but he's a guy that Darnold was actually pretty comfortable with in the preseason, and 
I do think he is still an upgrade as it stands right now over giving major reps to Jordan Leggett and even to Chris Herndon, who did have a couple flashes against Jacksonville, but is definitely still struggling with some mental errors out there. So that should help a little bit. I don't anticipate any major changes along the offensive line. Eli McGuire is not going to be back in this set of games. We're not going to see him till the back half of the year, at which point I think you could see him take on some work for from Isaiah Crowell, who's been fairly disappointing outside of the one home run run against Detroit and the one butt wipe celebration, of course, after Cleveland. Uh, <laughs> defensively is where I think they may have a little more flexibility uh, to maybe shuffling some pieces around. Uh, you know, if Morris Claiborne ends up staying bang up. I'm curious to see what they do at outside corner. Is it Daryl Roberts? Do we see any Derek Jones? Do we see more three safety looks now with Marcus Maybach? Uh, how did they get the rotation going at linebacker? Josh Martin's now out for the season, although he did miss the first three games. Do we see more Frankie Luvu? I mean, is there a lot of maneuverability or are the Jets just kind of stuck with what they have going forward? Uh, honestly, uh, for a lot of positions on the team, they are kind of stuck with what they have. Um, I think defensively at corner, it's very interesting because it, it you really just ha- have to ask yourself, uh, you know, what's the trust level between Bowles and, you know, the safeties or the cornerbacks that he drafted and one that they traded for. Uh, it seemed like he really liked Rashad Robinson's progress in the preseason. Uh, he made sure that he kind of, you know, shouted him out and said, hey, he's learned from his mistakes. He's working hard to improve, uh, but is he trustworthy enough to, you know, be able to to take over for somebody like Morris Claiborne uh, while he's banged up and, uh, you know, be somebody that's a positive effect on the defense? We don't know because we haven't seen it. Uh, Derek Jones, the same thing, had a great preseason, but we don't know. We don't know how much he trusts these guys because we, we're just not seeing them out there. And eventually we've got to see them. <laughs> but, I mean, we also said the same thing about uh, Chad Hansen and Ardarius Stewart, and they're both cut. Uh, everyone wanted to see them last season, wondering how long it's going to take to develop, wondering uh, when they're finally going to get their chance. And, you know, they, they Chad Hansen did a little bit, but Ardarius Stewart kind of did not, and then they were both cut. So uh, really, it just it begs the question of, hey, maybe there isn't anybody. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole Buster Screen thing last year when he got hurt, uh, and after the game, Bulls were like, well, we don't have another slot quarterback to put in. Fortunately, now they have Perry Nickerson, but I think that is kind of the sentiment with a lot of other positions on the team right now, particularly, uh, I mean, offensive line is one thing that just terrifies me because uh, they're, they, they need help, but there's no help. Uh, you know, they, they need to improve, but uh, a lot of these guys are veteran linemen and they're in this new zone blocking scheme and it's just not working. So um, I think for the most part, in terms of personnel, there's, they just don't have good players. You know, they don't have depth. Uh, but I think they can be creative with uh, some players on offense, particularly like Blau Powell. Um, I feel like he's been pretty good so far this season. Uh, but, you know, obviously the, the whole thing is whether or not he's going to stay healthy with an increased, uh, you know, increased carry. So we'll, we'll see what they do with that. But uh, I think most positions don't really have that much maneuverability, unfortunately, because there's just no depth. So it's really just kind of just throwing them out there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point. I want to hit on one thing that that you mentioned that hasn't gotten a lot of discussion yet. Look, we knew this Jets offensive line 
could potentially be a problem spot. I think most of us were hoping that with the upgrade from Wesley Johnson to Spencer Long and a more healthy Brian Winters that there would be enough improvement for this unit to at least be average. They've really struggled the past two weeks. And to be fair, they went against two really good front sevens, arguably two of maybe the five or six best in the NFL. So they've been overmatched. That's not going to get any easier against Denver, although after that it should get hopefully a little easier. But you know, we know Rick Dennison has kind of forced the team to move to this zone-blocking scheme, despite maybe the, the Jets' skill set of their current offensive linemen not being a perfect match for that. And we always have talked about the worst thing a coach could do is try to force players into his scheme instead of being flexible right. to playing to his players' strengths. And it feels like on the offensive line, you know, James Carpenter, Brian Winters, Kelvin Beecham, are these guys really best served in a zone-blocking scheme or are they better served with sort of a mix of the zone and man-to-man schemes and some other different things integrated there? Or are the Jets just trying to force something that is already making an offensive line with limited talent that much worse? So that is something that I think to definitely keep an eye on. And I hope that Dennison and Bates are going to be flexible going forward because what we've seen through these first four weeks has been fairly disappointing. Four weeks is nowhere near enough time to pass a judgment. But what have we seen from Bates that has been that much more impressive than what we saw from John Morton? I mean, John Morton, I think, was okay. He had his pros and cons. Everyone had talked that Bates, this was going to be this major upgrade, that he was this play-calling savant. You know, Shanahan loved him. I just haven't seen it through four games. I don't think all of the problems are on him. And I do think that, you know, there has been some things that have been there and the Jets just haven't executed. But overall, what are the Jets doing that is so unique and creative to get the most out of their players? Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a big concern because uh, a player doesn't simply kind of fall off the earth in terms of their production out of nowhere. And, you know, an offensive line doesn't just look broken out of nowhere. Uh, you know, they they were, we thought they were kind of average to below average. And whereas now we're like, okay, they're either below average or, you know, one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, so that, like, starts to, you know, perk your ears up and make you concerned because um, if your scheme is making the offense worse and not highlighting the strengths of certain players and not utilizing uh, you know, the, their strengths in the ways that can positively affect the production of the entire team, uh, then it's like, okay, well, what exactly are we doing? Uh, if you're, if your offense is based on what you want the team to be in three or four years, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, like, like you were talking about the offensive line, you bring in a zone blocking scheme with an offensive line that's not good at zone blocking. Uh, if, if you're doing that with the idea that, hey, we're going to get guys that are good at zone blocking, you're putting a lot of faith in your, your job security. And that's just, you don't do that in the NFL. That doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, it, it's concerning that they're not utilizing guys like Robbie Anderson the way they were last year. Um, like you said, John Morton was able to use him a lot. <laughs> and despite the fact that he had, uh, you know, really bad rapport with Josh McCown early on in the season, they worked on it. It got better and better. And then all of a sudden he's torching the Falcons. During, uh, you know, towards the middle of the season, and you're like, oh yeah, this guy is the potential number one. Whereas this year, you know, he's hidden, he's hidden, he's hidden. He gets the ball, he fumbles. He's hidden, he's hidden, he's hidden. He gets overthrown. You know, <laughs> so it's it's uh, it just seems like they're not putting an emphasis on the strengths of the offense, and they're more just trying to, uh, you know, 
squeeze the offense into whatever Jeremy Bates has in mind. And you can see, like you said, at times there are opportunities to to have big plays that, and they just get missed, which is fine because Sam Darnold's going to miss some. Josh McCown also missed a few big plays last season. Uh, you know, so it's not like that's, you know, something that's uncommon that happens with every offense. But the problem is that they're not utilizing the strengths. Uh, and, and you can see what happens there. It, it can barely get a first down. They can barely make anything happen. And really the only strength they're utilizing is Quincy Anuman, his ability to run after the catch. Uh, that's really the only thing that they've used properly this season on offense. Is there one player on either side of the football that you think will step into a much bigger role in these next four games uh, compared to what we saw the first four games? I think for me, offensively, I do think the Jets are going to find a way to force feed the ball a little more to Robbie Anderson. And I think, you know, we saw him free himself up in the slot against Jalen Ramsey and Darnold overshot him a little bit. And that's fine. Let Darnold miss that throw now, but not next year when this team is actually supposed to compete. I do think those guys right. will eventually link up again. So I just don't – I think he has too much talent and there's not enough other people to direct targets to for his numbers to stay on the current trajectory. Like he's not going to finish the year with 32 catches and 400 yards. He will have some more big plays at some point. And I do think over the next four weeks, he'll be more productive than he was the first four weeks. Defensively, I'm curious if they I'm curious to see what they do at safety now with Marcus May back and knowing that some some of the issues that they've had at cornerback in the secondary and with Claiborne being banged up. How many three safety looks do we see? Do they still use guys like Wilcox and Middleton on defense? Basically, I'm just curious to see what May is going to bring to the defense. Is he going to be the guy he was the first half of last year, or is he going to be the guy he was the back half of last year? Is there anybody else in particular you're looking towards for a bigger role on either side of the ball? Yeah, uh, I actually... I'm looking forward to Chris Herndon uh, and his and how his role expands because I think the first few weeks of the season he was lost and I think a lot of that had to do with the lack of time that he had in preseason. Um, so he kind of had a, a, a slow time getting acquainted and getting used to the offense and getting in the swing of things. Uh, but I'm, I think he's starting to get more comfortable. We saw the uh, the crazy catch that he made that ended up getting called back. Uh, but I think that's a good side of him uh, starting to get more into get more comfortable in this offense and. Uh, I think uh, Jeremy Bates is going to see that and try to get him the ball a little bit more, particularly because, you know, we all know that the tight end is a quarterback's best friend. So if they could have a tight end that's dynamic, and I think Chris Herndon has the potential to be dynamic, um, I think that uh, they will be best served kind of getting him more involved. Um, uh, yeah, and also I think uh, defensively, uh, it's it's interesting to kind of uh, see what's going on on the defense at at edge uh, because really it's, it's kind of just throwing guys in and out and seeing what's going to work. Um, Jordan Jenkins has been, uh, he's been okay. He's missed a few big plays, but uh, his pass rush has definitely improved. Um, but I think that you have a couple young guys and uh, obviously, like you said, Josh Martin's now out. You have a couple young guys that are rotating in at edge that are obviously by default going to have a bigger role. Um, but I, I think everyone really loved what they saw out of Frankie Luvu. And I think that he, I think he's honestly the type of player that uh, Kevin Green thought he had in uh, Dylan Donahue. Uh, you know, he has an electric motor. He doesn't stop. Uh, sometimes he overdoes it, like we saw in preseason, gets penalties. Uh, but he he has that, uh, you know, that speed and agility, um, just through effort. You know, that kind of makes plays happen. Um, so I think that he's going to have a little bit more time on defense. Uh, but yeah, 
Uh, I think Frankie Lubu and Chris Hernan are two young players to kind of keep an eye on because they have kind of the ceiling to grow. Uh, and they, uh, or at least Lubu puts in the effort. So you kind of, you kind of want to root for that. <laughs> hey, uh, understandable. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how the reps are divided up in that front seven. Maybe we end up seeing more of a guy like Nathan Shepard, uh, who really hasn't made that much of an impact through the first four weeks. How, how are the reps ultimately divided up uh, up front? All right, final question before we let you go, and then I'll give my prediction after this. As it stands now, what will the Jets' record be their next four games? So, <laughs> I, know the, uh, I know the Jets fans won't want to hear this, but uh, like I was saying earlier, I th- I think they're gonna end up two and six by the time this is all done. Um, it's 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 just a it's a tough stretch, and uh, it's it's gonna be hard for them to kind of keep everybody uh in the organization on the same page through a lot of turmoil because it's it's difficult. It's not like they're just starting off. It's not like this is year two of a rebuild, even though it kind of is year two of a rebuild. But it's really uh, you know, they've been doing this since 2015, so it, it's not not new. So I think patience starts to wear thin a little bit uh, at two and six. But yeah, that's that's where I think they'll be. What about what about you? I don't think it's irrational at all to think they're going to go one and three in these next four games. I think that's the most sensible prediction. I'm going to say, and I'm generally not. I don't skew towards the optimistic side. I'm going to say they're going to find a way to go two and two. I think it's, um, I think it's such a. I'm saying this more because I think it's such a week to week league, and I think the Jets are mm. due to become the beneficiary of like a weird game. Like Buffalo was the beneficiary of that weird, weird game against Minnesota, and maybe right. you get a team like Chicago who comes out and lays an egg in a game they expect to win, or you catch Denver sleepwalking and you're able to beat them in the Colts. I think they're going to find a way into winning a game that maybe they probably shouldn't on paper, which will kind of keep hope afloat for maybe a little longer than it should be. If I don't want to back out of my 7-9 and nine prediction at this point, realistically, I think it's more likely as, it, as the season has started that they'll be 5-11 and 11 or 6-10. and 10. Uh, But I do think over these next four, they'll find a way to get to 3-5. and five. Now, that's such a crazy, bold prediction, I know, but that, that's what I'm going with. Um, <laughs> all right, Dan, thank you for joining us. Anything you want to shout out in particular for the fans to uh, go follow? Oh, for sure. Uh, definitely follow me on Twitter at Jets and Joloff. Uh, that's J-E-T-S and J-O-L-L-O-F. Uh, Twitter, uh, definitely check out the last episode of Buck the Trend. I had John Leonard on. He's a great guest. All the guys at Draft Network, honestly, are awesome. Uh, and obviously they have ties to us through Connor. So, you know, shout out to you, Jay. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, definitely check that out. It was a really great episode. We got to talk about defensive linemen. Uh, you know, we got to talk about kind of the, the new breed that's kind of coming out with defensive linemen of guys that can play every single technique on the defensive line. Um, kind of what the Jets fans wanted to see from Leonard Williams. So, uh, yeah, it's a great episode. Definitely check that out. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, Dan, thank you for joining us, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week to break down what happened in Jets Broncos and preview Jets Colts.